Chapter Nine of Bill Bidden Trapper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bill Bidden Trapper by Edward Sylvester Ellis. Chapter Nine The Buffalo Hunt and Its Consequences. During my captivity among the Indians, as stated in the last chapter, there was considerable suffering on account of the scarcity of food. The country to the north of Nebraska is the paradise of all species of game in the summer months, but during the winter the large animals proceeded to the southward, and the deep snows prevent the capture of the smaller ones, except by means of traps. Spring, therefore, was looked forward to with eager expectation as the harbinger of enjoyment and the season of the chase. And it came at last. First, the sun grew hotter and blazed more fiercely. The snow became damp and cloggy, and the dripping of water could be heard through the day and night. Snowshoe traveling was now nearly impossible, as long as the thaw continued. Huge streams of melted snow poured into the rivers all along the banks, and the ice became weaker and weaker each moment, till at last, with a terrific crashing and thundering, the whole mass started, and a week after, the clear, blue, running water only was seen. The thaw continued, until at last, all the snow had disappeared, and with feelings of indescribable joy, we once more saw the face of the earth. Vegetation now commenced with surprising growth, and in an almost incredible short space of time, bright, radiant, glorious spring held indisputed rain. Indians were departing and arriving every day with loads of fish, wild fowl, and game, and the village was a scene of unbridled feasting for many a day. One forenoon, a savage who had been absent a day or two announced that a herd of buffaloes were quietly browsing a few miles to the southward. This produced violent commotion throughout the village, and preparations were at once made for the grand hunt. Some twenty or thirty splendid Indian ponies were mounted by as many warriors, and to my inexpressible delight Jim informed me that I should accompany them. A small, high-spirited animal was given me as my charger. He was of a dark color, and his dappled haunches glistened in the sun like polished ebony. About noon we sallied forth from the village, and struck a southward direction, restraining our animals to a walk, in order to preserve their wind for the severe test at hand. While riding along by the side of Jim, the thought of escape, which had not been absent from me for the last six months, came with a double force. I was now mounted upon a fleet, long-winded animal, who could hold his own with any horse bestrode by the Indians, and what was to prevent my escape. In the bewilderment and excitement of the chase, I might wander miles away and be gone many hours without exciting suspicion. My captors, I suppose, had no thoughts of my attempting a flight, as I had permitted so many opportunities to pass, and I felt there would be no suspicious eyes watching my motions. 
the prairie stretched hundreds of miles to the southward and it seemed my animal longed to bound away upon it at any rate i felt the time had come and resolved that i should never return to the indian village a captive an hour or so after we came in sight of the drove cropping the new grass of the prairie so numerous were they that as we looked over them it was impossible to see their extent far away until they touched the horizon the ocean of dark swarming bodies could be seen our animals now partook of the excitement of their masters arching their necks they scented the prey afar and it was nearly impossible to restrain their impatience they snorted and plunged champed their bits and shook their heads and seemed determined to rush forward despite all restraint we continued stealthily approaching in a body preserving strict silence in order not to alarm the game in this way we came within a hundred yards when a bull raised his alarmed gaze at us and giving a loud snort heaved his huge body round and plunged madly into the herd all took the alarm and went thundering away making the earth tremble with their multitudinous tread it was now wholly useless to undertake to check our animals longer and setting up a wild yell the indians scattered and plunged after them the buffalo is not a runner and owing to the shortness of his forelegs appears to roll in his gait the indians horses soon bring their riders alongside the bisons and as soon as the shot is given they shy off to avoid the infuriated animal's horns before i was prepared for it my animal was abreast of a buffalo and waiting for my shot here i committed a blunder common to all beginners of the hunt i fired while holding the reins in my hands the consequence was my bullet struck the animal somewhere about the head got entangled in his mane where it would drop out in a day or two my horse immediately veered to one side and allowed the buffalo to run until i could reload i now saw my beast knew more of the chase than i did and dropping the rein upon his neck allowed him full freedom cautiously but rapidly he came alongside the plunging buffalo and taking more care i sent a bullet through the forepart of his body it was his death wound and seemingly conscious of his fate and determined on revenge he wheeled instantly round drove his forefeet into the ground and dropped his head to rip up my charger this movement was so sudden and we were so close upon him that my horse could neither check his speed nor turn to one side but he avoided him for all that dropping upon his haunches with a snort he made a terrific bound upward and went clean over the buffalo the maddened animal expected this and plunged his horns upward at him expecting to still kill him the instinct of the horse was too much however he too feared such a fate and leaped high enough to avoid him as he came to the earth again he plunged swiftly away the enraged buffalo in full pursuit but he easily kept clear from him wheeling and dodging and still remaining nigh enough for me to give my shot 
My gun was unloaded, and before I could charge it, the buffalo had fallen to the earth and was fast dying. I now looked about me. Buffaloes were flying in every direction, and the forms of the savages could be seen darting to and fro among them, dealing death and destruction at every turn. The main herd was pouring simultaneously southward, while the scores which had been cut off were endeavoring to rejoin them, carrying us along with them. In different parts of the prairie could be seen the dark, motionless forms of the slain buffaloes, showing how successful the chase had been thus far. The sky, which in the morning was fair and clear, was now becoming overcast with heavy clouds, and two or three warning rumbles of thunder were heard in the distance. Still, the savages were too excited to notice the interruption as long as a single buffalo remained. I saw Jim plunge his horse unhesitatingly into a crowd of a dozen or so, when as he commenced dealing destruction, his horse became entangled, and he was compelled to make a flying leap over the backs of the animals around him. This he accomplished successfully, leaping from one back to the other, until he was clear of them all. Suddenly it occurred to me, while holding my fiery horse, that if I meditated escape, it was high time to be about it. Turning to the southward, I could just descry the drove thundering away, a vast cloud of dust circling above them. The rain was dropped upon the neck of my horse, and stretching out his head, he bounded away like the wind. He was a noble animal, and was now in his element. He enjoyed the chase as much as any of the savages, and as mile after mile of prairie flew beneath his feet, he was only warming into the excitement. As I looked back, I could just discern the Indians, like specks in the distance, still at their bloody work. We were now at no great distance from the herd, and my horse, catching sight of an old worried bull, somewhat in the rear, instantly made toward him. He was too jaded to hasten his pace, and I could see his fury was roused. I prepared to shoot him, as it would go to show my pursuers, if I should have any, that the excitement of the chase had alone carried me away. While yet some distance, he shied to one side, and turned his head warningly toward us, but without halting. The horse, however, finding that I still restrained my shot, continued to bring me closer. At last the bison struck into a swifter run, and made desperate efforts to rejoin his companions. In an instant I was beside him, and holding my gun to my shoulder, was just on the point of firing, when he suddenly stood at bay, in precisely the same manner as the other. My horse, instead of making a running leap this time, stopped instantaneously, planting his feet firmly in the ground. I was not prepared for this, and shot a dozen feet over his head, falling upon my face within a foot of the buffalo. The shock was terrible, and I was severely injured. I endeavored to rise, fearing that I should be gored and trampled to death, but was unable, and heard the buffalo scampering away. I placed my hand to my face, and found it covered with blood, 
and a strange bewilderment was coming over me. I arose to my knees and gazed about me. The buffalo was plunging in the rear of his drove, while my horse was galloping wildly around me, his mane and bridle flying in the wind. I heard the bursting of thunder overhead, and everything was growing dark and confused. I tried again to rise, but failed. There was a thick darkness about me, a heavy hand pressing me to the earth, and all became chaotic. When consciousness returned, all was blank darkness. The rain was pouring down in torrents, and stunned and bleeding, I lay on the soaked, cold, spongy earth. Gradually the remembrance of my misfortune came over me. I must have been lying several hours upon the prairie, exposed to the cold, dismal storm. My clothes were saturated with the chilling rain, and my face and hands bedabbled with mud and dirt. I struggled desperately to my feet, and endeavored to pierce the Stygian gloom around, but it was useless. Not the smallest point of the faintest light could be seen in any direction. Up, down, on every hand, the same solid walls of darkness enveloped me. I was many miles from the Indian village, and had lost its direction. At that moment I would have given worlds to have been within Jim's lodge. Flight in my present condition was not to be thought of, and I must soon receive succor or I should perish. I listened. In the dismal sweep of the rain something like a footstep was heard. I called out, but there was no reply. Again the splash of a foot was heard, now from a different point. Soon I discovered some animal was walking around me in a circle. Feeling round in the spongy prairie, I found my rifle, but it was useless as a means of defense as the charge was thoroughly wetted. I clubbed it and waited for the attack. Still around and around the same step went. At first I fondly hoped it might be Jim or one of his companions, but its footfall showed it to be a quadruped, and its approach was too cautious. Suddenly it halted and walked directly toward me. I drew my rifle back ready to brain it the minute it was within my reach. A faint neigh was heard. Joy inexpressible, it was my fateful horse. As I called to him, he approached and lowered his head for me to take his bridle. With a feeling of deep thankfulness and hope, I clambered into the saddle and he bounded away, his unerring instinct leading him straight toward home. The rain continued to beat, cold and dismal, and I felt already burning within me a hot fiery fever from the terrible suffering I had undergone. I should soon be prostrated, and without some kindly hand to nurse me, would inevitably perish. But the horse was certain, and after an hour or two my heart leaped as we entered the silent Indian village. But one light was burning and that was in the lodge of Jim, showing that he expected my return. I rode instantly up to the entrance and dismounted, while my noble horse made off to look out for himself. 
Jim arose as he heard my approach, and lifting his torch, advanced to meet me. You had long hunt. He started back in horror at my appearance. Then, holding his light over his head, and peering at me, he asked, What the matter? Been in fight? No. I was thrown from my horse, and lay senseless upon the prairie until a short time ago. I feel bad, Jim, and fear I'm severely injured, said I, starting to seat myself. Wait a minute. I'm hurt. Let me fix em. He clapped his hands, and instantly the bundle of blankets at the side of the lodge arose to an upright position, and his squaw walked forth. My wounds were now dressed, my garments changed for dry ones, and with a hot cup of drink I was swathed in blankets and placed by the fire. Jim said it was not far from morning, and if at that time I was worse, he would call in the medicine man. All night the fever burned and raged, and when morning came I was partially delirious. Jim examined my pulse, shook his head doubtingly, and departed from the lodge. In a short time he returned, and with him came the medicine man, an Indian considerably advanced in years, and much loved and honored by his tribe. He too looked grave, and held a consultation in an undertone with Jim. From these signs I knew I was dangerously, probably fatally, injured. And now came days of those strange, indescribable visions that come over one in high fever. I was in all imaginable places, and saw wonderful persons and scenes. Now and then there were moments when reason flitted to its throne. At such times I saw the medicine man or Jim near me and once, as I wonderingly opened my eyes, I saw the mysterious captive bending over me. I looked straight into her dark liquid eyes, and reached forth and touched her garment, to satisfy myself that it was no freak of mind. My fixed stare alarmed her, and she looked inquiringly at the medicine man. He mumbled something, and she departed. About a week after my accident, as I subsequently learned, I awoke with my full reason. As I looked wonderingly about me, the first object that encountered my eyes was the captive to whom I've alluded. My fixed stare at her seemed to alarm her, and she arose to pass out. Wait, said I, pray do not leave me. But you should not talk, she replied, much agitated. The medicine man would not allow it. You will surely injure yourself. You and the medicine man are both mistaken if he thinks thus. I know I have been sick and delirious, but my mind was never clearer than it is at this instant, and I know a few moments' conversation cannot injure me. Let me beg you not to refuse me this, as I cannot tell whether the opportunity will ever again be offered. The being before me was much embarrassed, and for a moment hesitated, seemingly in doubt between duty and inclination. Seizing the opportunity, I urged my wish with greater fervor than ever. Finally she glanced furtively around, as though she expected to meet the twinkling orbs of the medicine man, and then answered, I cannot refuse your request. 
and yet it seems wrong that i should thus disobey the injunctions that were given for your good what is it that you wish to ask me am i out of danger not yet you have been crazy for a long time and more than once the medicine man has shaken his head in doubt when he looked upon you have you not watched by me nearly all the time i've been thus i gazed full in her face as i uttered this question and she dropped her eyes in confusion as she replied i have assisted the medicine man several times as he wished me to and i have done no more to you than i would to any one in similar circumstances no sweet being i know you haven't i exclaimed in admiration your heart is open to any one who you are i know not but i can see your race is similar to my own and i judge you to be a willing prisoner among these indians your image has long been before me and i can never forget your fair angelic face what first was merely interest upon my part has now grown into a stronger passion for you though i fear i paused as she suddenly arose to her feet and raised her hand in a warning manner before i could ask the meaning of this a shuffling step was heard and the next minute the medicine man made his appearance he gesticulated angrily toward her and she passed quietly out of the lodge i followed her with my eyes and as she reached the passageway she turned toward me with a look that told more than words the medicine man evidently suspected what i'd been doing for i could see he was excited and mumbled continually to himself he forced a bitter scalding drink into my mouth which was soothing in its effects and in a short time i slept now comes a long blank in my memory after this incident black night shut around my mind there is a faint recollection of again seeing jim and the medicine man bending over me and the sweet pale face of the fair captive and then again came utter oblivion end of chapter nine